Welcome to session 53 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 22nd of February. Today we'll be looking at Deuteronomy 1 to 3 and Psalm 53. But first of all, let's have an overview of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, like the four books before it, is traditionally attributed to Moses and is part of the Torah. While the Mosaic authorship is a long-standing tradition, modern scholarship suggests that the book is likely a compilation of oral traditions, historical events and laws. These were possibly edited and compiled over centuries, with some scholars suggesting that the final form may have been as completed as late as the 5th century BC. In many ways, Deuteronomy has more in common with the books that follow it. We're looking at Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings than the rest of the Torah. Because of the language and structure, some suggest that these books were edited and collected together as a Deuteronomistic history. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself, particularly as there are two outlines today. So we have Deuteronomy 1 to 11, and in this we have Moses' opening speech. So Deuteronomy 1 to 3 is a story so far, and then Deuteronomy 4 to 11 is a call to covenant faithfulness, a series of sermons. Then we get Deuteronomy 12 to 26, which is a collection of the laws, a retelling of everything we've learnt so far. This is broken down into Deuteronomy 12 to 17, where the Israelites are to worship, Deuteronomy 17 to 18, the Israelites' leaders, and Deuteronomy 19 to 26, the civil laws and social justice. We then end with a final section, Deuteronomy 27 to 34, with Moses' final speeches and death. Deuteronomy 27 to 30, we get a warning and an ultimatum for the Israelites as they go forward. And then Deuteronomy 31 to 34, we get Moses' last words and his death. The focus of the book is to rehash the journey the Israelites have been on so far and to take all that they have learned so far and apply that specifically to the new context they will be living in in the land. Many of these rules and instructions were to set them apart from their corrupt neighbours. So rather than compare the laws with modern society, we should compare them to the laws and practices of their neighbours. They will be a lot similar with what we've read before, but when looked at closely, you'll notice some subtle variations. And the lesson we learn from this is that each generation needs the wisdom of the Torah translated to their specific context. In terms of themes, Two phrases we'll see are listen or hear and love. But let's jump in with Deuteronomy 1, 2, 3. We're now into Deuteronomy. At this point, the people have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The old generation of Israelites who didn't trust God and grumbled and complained have died. And the new generation are ready to enter the land promised to them. When we finished in Numbers, the narrator was on the east side of the Jordan with the Israelites. Here at the start of Deuteronomy, the narrator seems to be talking about past events from the west side of Jordan, looking out to the east. If this is true, then we are to read this as a future generation reflecting back on what Moses said, rather than a writing down of what Moses said at the time. Moses gathers all the people together for one last time. He won't be joining them as they move on into the new land and giving them one long speech, preparing them to face what is to come ahead. This speech is the book of Deuteronomy. He starts with a recap of the last 40 years, most of it which may seem familiar to you if you've been following along with this so far. And there are various different bits I could pick up, but I'm going to focus on a very small part of today's reading because it's a topic I'm personally interested in. It's quite niche and quite deep, so don't worry if it all makes sense straight away. If you remember all the way back to when the spies went out to spy the land in Numbers 13, 
You might remember we read about the sons of Anak, the Anakim. We noted then that Anak was one of the Nephilim, a race of tall people that came from the sons of God who were key spiritual beings, sleeping with human women in Genesis 6. The Anakim were descendants of one particular half-spirit, half-human being. In Deuteronomy 2, we read of many different groups like the Anakim. They're together classed as Rephaim. Have a look at Deuteronomy 2 verse 11. So from this, we can guess that Rephaim is the name for any group of people that are descendants of Nephilim. Why is this important? The Nephilim were never meant to exist. The sons of God were never meant to sleep with human women. Therefore, the Rephaim, including the Anakim and others, were never meant to exist. It may seem harsh for us to say now, but to the Israelites and to God, they would have been an abomination. Here in Deuteronomy 2, we see a few times how God destroys these people groups to let other nations move in. The Ammonites destroyed a group of Rephaim called the Zamzumim and took over their land. The people of Esau, the Edomites, destroyed the Horites. The Kaphtarim destroyed the Avim. Have a look at Deuteronomy 2 verses 20 to 23. In the same way, there are Rephaim in the land that the Israelites are going to enter and they need to destroy them. We'll see a lot of this in Joshua. And as you read it, you'll think, why is God asking them to kill everyone? That's not particularly nice. One of the reasons is because they are part of the Rephaim and people that were never meant to exist and a powerful symbol of the rebellion of heavenly beings. Even the nations that Israel defeated on the east side of the Jordan were home to Rephaim. For only Gog, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of Rephaim. Deuteronomy 3 verse 11 reads. We then finish the recapping of the Israelites' journey, ready for Moses to start his sermon in full in Deuteronomy 4. But that's Deuteronomy 1 to 3. Now let's look at Psalm 53. The psalm is associated with King David and can fall into the category of wisdom psalm. In most ways, this psalm is a copy of Psalm 14 with a couple of slight variations, where Psalm 14 uses Lord, Yahweh, in the Hebrew. Psalm 53 uses God, Elohim, in the Hebrew. This is pretty common for the Psalms in book two of the Psalms, that's Psalm 42 to 72. Because of this, what we said of Psalm 14 is also largely true of Psalm 53. But here's a summary of the structure. We have Psalm 53, verse one, the foolish. Verses two to three, are there any who are wise? Verse four, why do they attack my people? Verse 5, God scatters the wicked. And verse 6, hope for salvation. The psalm opens on a problem that foolish, corrupt people exist. And there seem to be a lot of them. These foolish people do not believe in God and they do wicked things. In response, God searches the earth for those who aren't foolish. Those who have understanding and who seek God. But all have allowed themselves to become foolish. This is hyperbole, over-exaggeration. As we'll see, there are still those who are innocent and righteous. But turning back to the foolish, the psalmist notices how they oppress and consume my people. Who is the person talking? As the psalmist attributed to King David, this could be from the point of the king. But it's perhaps more likely that the psalmist is talking from the point of Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom is a character that appears in a lot of wisdom literature. She is the embodiment of wisdom. Her people are those who seek after and live by wisdom. And this is where Psalm 52 changes focus a little from Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, the focus is on how God protects the righteous and the poor. Psalm 52 focuses on the terror that God will bring on the wicked. He will scatter them and shame them. And then Psalm 52 picks back up with Psalm 14. 
Lady Wisdom looks forward to the day when there will be no more wicked, where God restores the good fortunes to his people. There will be a day of celebration. We learn much the same lessons as we did from Psalm 14, but with that slightly different focus. While Psalm 14 is an encouragement to the righteous in a world that seems wicked, Psalm 52 is a warning to the wicked. If you don't learn your lesson, it will not end well for you.